0: Good morning. So the, today's we're in First Peter five. Today we're gonna I think wrap up First Peter next week. We're gonna just do the first five verses like Brett and read this morning. And this morning is officially geared towards leaders in the church, otherwise known as elders. Not to be confused with elders in the Mormon Church, right? Um, but the term pastor really isn't in the Bible. I mean, if we wanted to be uh, super biblical, we would be. I would be Elder Bill and. Elder David, but that's confusing in an age of Mormons. And so we tend to use the term pastor, but really, it's an elder is what it is. Um, That's what this passage is about. And so for some of you, you might be thinking, well, why did I come to church today? Since Bill's basically preaching to himself. Um, But what the scriptures teach about church leadership really reveals a lot about the character of God. It reveals a great deal about also his expectations for his followers. Can you guys hear me all the way in like nosebleed section? You good? Okay. Um, listen, you might not be a leader of this church. I mean, you could say in some respects I am preaching to the elders of this church today as a fellow elder, but even if you're not one of the elders, you are a leader somewhere. And so you can extrapolate the principles from this text and realize that the same things that should define a leader in the church should define a leader in a home, should define by principle a leader in a business. And so don't just tune out if you're like, well, I'm not a leader. You're, you are a leader or you're going to be a leader one day in various spheres and circles in your life. And so there's still lots to glean here if you're willing to listen, okay? So verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you in this region. Remember, this is an encyclical letter, and so Peter is writing a letter that's going to Asia Minor. That's basically modern-day Turkey. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be reeled, dot, dot, dot. So we'll stop there. Um, Two things that I want you to realize. This is one of those sermons with like 18 points, okay? So note takers, get ready. Um, Point number one. Here you go. Point number one. David's ready. He's got his pencil out. Okay. It's a crayon. (laughs) David's got his crayon sharpened. That's all you need to be an elder, guys. That's it. The bar is real low. Okay. Um, point number one, churches are led by elders. Um, now, churches, when we say church, we, we've talked about this all throughout the series, but the church, the household of God, living stones, the people of God, the family of God, the God's new creation, his bride, all of these metaphors that we have looked at over the last year Um, The local church, the local people of God, in this case our local family here in this room, um, and, and you guys on the deck, and Bob on the deck, are led by elders. Now, what we see in the New Testament is that this is always the case, and when it's a new work, it's externally until it's internally, And so Paul goes through, and um, with Barnabas and his troop, and they plant churches, which is just gathering new believers into assemblies or groups. And then Paul and his and his guys function as external elders, providing—think of elder as like an older spiritual maturity, not as an old guy—and they provide that leadership until internally there's maturation, and internal elders can be appointed. And so that is the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Elders are in charge of leading the church. And remember, elder doesn't necessarily mean old in age, but it's mature spiritually. And if you're new to this topic, we do not have the time to exhaust this. But if you go back through the archives on our website, one, go read First. Uh, First Timothy, especially chapter three. Go read Titus, um, chapters one and both well, Titus. Is short. read the whole book. Okay, um, read First Timothy, read Titus, read Second Timothy. Those are called the pastoral epistles. They're written from Paul to pastors or to um, to elders. It gives you a good feel of what eldership is all about. You can also go back through when we preached through First Timothy and when we preach through Titus, and you can um, review some of those sermons. So churches are led by elders. That's point number one. Point number two is this. Churches are independent. Churches are independent, autonomous, okay? What do I mean by that? If you look at this, what does Peter say? He says, so I exhort you as an apostle with a big A, Peter the rock, The one on whom this church will be built and the gates of hell. No. What does he say? As a fellow elder, as a fellow elder, he's like, just coming to you, bro, as a bro. Or if you're from Australia, just coming to me mates as a mate. Okay. Peter is coming. Listen to me here. Listen to me here. This is church to church. The church, in its essence, is decentralized under one centralized leadership. And who is the centralized leadership of the church? Say it out loud. Jesus. Jesus is the centralized leadership of the global church. So, in other words, Peter does not come here as a pope but as a peer. Now, he says, look, um, not only am I a peer, a fellow elder, but I also am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I've been there since the beginning. And like you, I will partake in the glory. And so he's, he's got street cred as well. So he doesn't come as a pope. He comes as a peer, but he comes as a peer with street cred. He comes in a posture of humility because he could say, I'm an apostle. This is what you do. But he doesn't do that. He comes as a fellow elder, church to church. Now, why is that significant? Um, It's significant for a lot of reasons, a lot of which we do not have the time or the emotional energy to get into right now. But this is what I want you to get for today. There are no superstars in this story besides Jesus. That's what you need to realize. There's no superstars in this story besides Jesus. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many books you've written. I don't care how big your church is or how many podcast subscribers you have. The bottom line is Jesus is the only one, which is why Paul says throughout 1 Corinthians, which I'm reading right now, so that no one may boast, that no one may boast, that no one may boast, not in yourself, not in another person. It's all about Jesus. So what that means is if I'm sitting down across the table from pick your favorite celebrity pastor in Christ, I should be able to say, bro, as a fellow elder, mate, as a fellow elder, I should be able to do that. Because there's no superstars in this story besides Jesus. That the guy who leads the house church in China of 12 people has just as much biblical authority as... You know, whatever, Matt Chandler, okay? God's not impressed with numbers. It all belongs to Jesus anyway. We need to start thinking the same way. Two, verse two, that is? It's going to be point three, verse two, guys. Don't get lost. (laughs) All right, verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So point number three. Um, So we said churches are led by elders. Churches are independent, autonomous, and the third thing is this, elders are commanded to feed and watch the flock. So elder here is the noun, as a fellow elder, and then he gives two verbs, The verb they're, they're in the Greek they're verbs, he gives two verbs in the Greek to describe the function, and those two verbs here are to shepherd and to oversee. In other words, the two main functions of the elder as described by Peter here in chapter five are to feed the flock, and to watch the flock. Not to be a chaplain to the flock, primarily, but to feed the flock and to watch the flock. It's helpful here to think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What does he do? He leads me to uh, green pastures. He, He makes me lie down. He leads me to still waters. He leads me down the right paths. He feeds and he oversees. Elders feed the flock. Elders feed the flock. Sheep need nourishment of food and water if they are to survive. And throughout the scriptures, those things always, often, I should say, maybe, represent the word and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go back to Psalm 23, what does it say? It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, like even if he's got to put his foot on your back to get you there, and he leads me beside still waters. What does he not do? He does not bend over, chew up the grass, and then spit it in his mouth. He makes him lie down in green pastures. He leads him to still waters. What is the point? It is not the shepherd's job to chew the food up and spit it into the mouth of the sheep. It is the shepherd's job to lead the sheep to green pastures, which is the word, and to still waters, which is the Holy Spirit, to bring you there. But that's all we can do. We can bring you to the word. We can bring you to the spirit. We can pray for you and with you. But the, your, your, your presence in this room does not make you a well-nourished sheep. Are you are you feeling me here? All right. I was gonna say, are you tracking with me, but Matt Chandler says that, and I just told said he's not a superstar. <laughs> so I had to I had to like grab something else to go with. So the point is this. Some of you guys have been in the Doctrine Zoom, the Upper Zoom, on Tuesday, Wednesday nights as you're going through ecclesiology, which is what the Bible teaches about the church. Um, and so this is good for you. right? We want to bring you to the Word, whether that is in Doctrine, whether it's on Sunday, whether it's in your discipleship groups, whether it's in a time of counseling, whatever it is. The Word is what does the work, John 6, to 45. It's always the Word. Right? And so we want to bring you to the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit that the Word is the content, the Holy Spirit is the content expert, and God himself can teach you. That's the goal. We want to teach you to self-feed, not so you can go out and be a bunch of like little Rambo sheeps on your own, but so that you know good grass when you see it, and you know still water when you see it, as opposed to putrid water and rotten grass. Elders feed the sheep. Elders also watch the flock. They watch the flock so as to lead it well and so as to protect it. The shepherd must know where he's headed and where the sheep are headed, and so he has to watch them and he has to watch himself. Sometimes the shepherd leads from the front. Sometimes he has to lead from the back and push the stragglers along. The point is this. The shepherd knows where to go because he has instruction from the chief shepherd, who is Jesus. See, guys, this is so crucial. Elders, this is crucial. Fellow pastors, this is crucial. If we have people visiting, whatever it might be, because we don't look to the culture to tell us what to do. We don't look to the world to tell us what to do. We don't look to whatever new book is out to tell us what to do. What we do is what the shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd, what he tells us to do. Even circumstance shouldn't determine what we do. Because guess what? Next week, all different circumstances. God is steadfast. His people are called to be steadfast. So we have to be watchful. We cannot look to these things to determine. We look to the Lord. And this is why often at Revolve we've been maybe to some of you rigid in determining what we will or won't do. It's not an arbitrary or casual or stubborn perspective. It's with deep wrestling and seeking the Lord because ultimately we get our marching orders from Jesus and Jesus alone. And then it's our job to watch the flock So that we're going in the direction he wants us to go. Another part of watching, by the way, is protecting. What do shepherds protect the sheep from? What are they watchful for? They're watchful for predators and unhealthy food. That's what shepherds are on the look for. They're on the look see for predators and unhealthy food. Wolves in the New Testament are people. They're false teachers who come in looking like sheep, but they are actually wolves. They deceive the sheep. They want to devour the sheep. They want to destroy. They want to divide and conquer. And Peter makes it quite clear, and Paul does the same, that this primarily happens through a compromising of truth through false teaching. Because uh, Paul uh, emphasized this in 1 Timothy, by the way, that when unsound doctrine is taught, it results in unsound behavior. And the solution for unsound behavior is not necessarily a really big stick, but it's true doctrine, which is specifically defined as that which is in line with the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And that's how we are protected. And so when we say things like you probably shouldn't just randomly search on YouTube for a sermon on that topic, it's with good reason. It's not because we're a cult. It's because we care about your health. We care about what you're consuming. We care about whether or not false teachers are worming their way in to people's households, like it says in Timothy, to tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And then before you know it, you're listening to Joel Osteen and you're looking for your best life now when what Jesus promised was trials, tribulation, and persecution. There's wolves that want to destroy you, and they worm their way into your household through the internet and television. Don't be deceived. This is why if you want to derail your life, it often begins with false teaching. And so shepherds primarily guard by protecting truth. We also protect by directly, lovingly, patiently addressing sin. Not with the goal of punishment, but with the goal of correction. And I will tell you this, it often doesn't go well. And I'm not joking. The most terrible seasons of ministry have been when we have had to do church discipline and it almost never works out. Because in an age of just going to a different church, if I don't agree with you, people just run and never deal with their sin. Elders are responsible. Next point, elders are responsible for a certain group of people. He says, shepherd the flock that is among you. Seems obvious, right? Few weeks ago, maybe some of you guys uh, saw this on the news. There, were there, Well, it's been going on for months now. There's a church in Canada. The pastor got arrested. He spent like 35 days in maximum security prison because they broke COVID regulation rules. And, and they finally let him out, and they went right back to church. And then the riot police showed up, and they put two fences around his church. And then the people couldn't come in to worship. So then the church went underground, not literally like moles. That means that they started meeting somewhere that wasn't public. And then a bunch of people showed up to try to, like, pull the fence down. None of those people went to the church, just so you know. The church was busy meeting to honor King Jesus while the fanboys and groupies showed up to tear down the fence. Okay? But what's my point here? Whether or not you agree with this church's decision to go against the government and go underground is not why I share this. When asked where are they meeting, the response was, I don't know. Why do I say this? I want to point out something extremely obvious. Nobody knows where the church is meeting. That is, except for who? The people who go there. Okay? In other words, if you are not known by your shepherd, you didn't get the memo. What does that mean? In the age of church dabbling, When it is fully acceptable to go to six different churches, depending on your mood or the worship leader or the speaker on six different weekends, you would not have gotten the memo. And then when you said, where are we meeting Sunday? Guess what people wouldn't do? Tell you. you say, well, that's a silly thing. No, it's a very legitimate thing in an age of potentially terrible incoming persecution. Why would you get the note and then risk the entire flock? Is that strong and harsh? Uh, It was the church in Canada. I didn't do it. Be mad at them. Shepherds must know their sheep. And this is increasingly difficult in a digital age that has been amplified and propagated by a consumeristic mindset and now underscored by so many churches in the country which are saying, let's just go online totally. No. No. That is not biblical. The church must gather. Living stones are only a building when they're together, not when they're separate. Thank you. (laughs) Man. Listen, I have a hard time feeling like I know all of you guys. I don't know everybody in this room. I'm socially awkward. I don't like talking to people, right? You laugh, but it's true. Can you imagine? (laughs) What about a bigger church? How do you shepherd the flock of God entrusted to you if your church is a 1,000 people? I'm going to say something controversial. You don't. You don't. Not unless you got about 120 elders. You don't. A plurality of shepherd elders is crucial. Jesus led 12 men. Three of them intimately, and one of them betrayed him. Continuing in that verse, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So he says, shepherd them, feed them, watch over them. Then he gives three temptations for leaders. The first temptation is this to shepherd your people without joy. Now, if you're not a, a pastor or an elder, think of, your, think of it as a parent. If you're not a parent, maybe you'll be a parent one day, okay? If you're not uh, a parent or ever going to be a parent, then you're friends with somebody, hopefully, unless you're more socially awkward than I am. To shep- the temptation is to shepherd people without joy. Here's the problem. Whether you are a pastor or a parent, sometimes you just don't feel like doing it, right? Right? Parents, can you relate to that? Like you're sipping your coffee, and then your kids wake up, and you're like, oh my. <laughs> and you just, why'd they have to wake up so early? Why couldn't they sleep till 2 p.m.? Sometimes you just don't feel like doing it. You know that you have to, but there's times when, even with the people you love, it can feel like such a burden. Not because it's too hard, but because you're just not in the mood, right? That's life. And and if you think that doesn't apply to being a leader in your home or in your workplace, sometimes you're in a bad mood and you don't feel like dealing with someone else's garbage. You just want them to do what they're told, right? And you just get upset. Listen, as a pastor, as an elder, as a parent, it's easy to complain about problems. It's easy to complain about people. It's easy to complain about circumstances. But all of this is counter to God's character and it's counter to his will. Jesus doesn't complain about you. He doesn't tolerate you. He isn't like, well, I forgave you your sins, but my goodness, are you annoying. (laughs) That's not how Jesus is. Jesus loves his sheep. He knows his sheep. He leaves the 99 to pursue the one who keeps running away over and over and over again. That's his heart. The solution is this. Remember that in Jesus, what does Peter say? We are partakers of the glory that is yet to be revealed. Even those people who are extra grace required. Listen, shepherding is a privilege. And that's what I need to tell myself. When I feel lazy, when I feel annoyed, I have to remind myself it isn't about you. And frankly, you don't deserve to be a leader. And so rather than complaining, you should be thankful for the remarkable gift that I do not deserve to even be in this position, and it can be stripped away in a moment, and I shouldn't take it for granted. And that's true whether you're an elder or a parent. It can go away in a moment, and then all of the complaints seem so trivial, don't they? Temptation number two, this is a big one for America. Exploiting leadership for money or prestige. Temptation number two, exploiting leadership for money or prestige. The problem is that any position of leadership has potential for exploitation, whether that is favors or benefits, whether that is uh, financial or relational, or even using this position to satisfy an idol in my heart, like pleasing people or power or control. Temptation number two is exploiting leadership for money or prestige. See, leaders who are insecure can bolster that insecurity by using their position as elders to convince people to like them. That's not godly. That's just you exploiting other people to satisfy your own sinful cravings. It's a very real temptation. Or... Elders might be tempted to think that fame and glory equals being a good elder or a good shepherd. What that? What I mean by that, this is a major problem in our country, that we treat the church like a ladder that we climb. Well, I mean, yeah, you got started at Revolve, but if you're like a really good pastor, don't you get called from like a church down in Tennessee and they want you to come in because it's like the bigger the church, the more important the pastor, right? And, and you, so that's the way we think, isn't it? Well, he got started at that little country church. But then he moved to the big city, you know, like where the real pastors are. (laughs) This is, I mean, we laugh, but this is exactly how people view it. Those of you who aren't elders, but maybe you've played on a worship team or you're a worship leader, what happens if your worship team is really good? Well, we got to start writing our own songs. Put these babies on iTunes, you know what I mean? Maybe Spotify it. Why? Why can't it just be for the edification of the saints? Why does it always have to be about climbing a ladder of success? The church doesn't exist to make me succeed. I exist, along with my fellow elders, to make the church succeed. We have an upside-down world. I exist. This role exists. The elders exist to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that they can succeed in life. You don't come here so the elders look better. Our world is backwards, guys. Today, so many pastors think their churches exist to make them great book deals, podcasts, rather than what the Bible teaches them, which is you must decrease so he can increase. I will willingly face, suffer all things for the sake of the elect. Even now I am poured out like a drink offering. These are the words of Paul. Solution is remember the sufferings of Jesus. Why? Peter says, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Why is the solution to this problem remembering Jesus' sufferings? Because Jesus deserves all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the fame, and guess what? He suffered. He didn't get a book deal. He suffered. Leadership isn't about leaders. It's about the people they lead. Temptation number three, bullying people to get them to do what you want them to do. People are tough, and if you think your kids don't listen, imagine grown-up versions of them, okay? People are tough. We think we're right. And in times like this, when people just don't want to listen, it's a major temptation to just bully people into doing what you want them to do. The solution, what does Peter say? Be an example. That's his solution. He says don't bully the church. Be an example to the church. Listen, parents, do you want your kids to grow up to be bullies? Then bully them. Dads, would you want your daughter's husband to yell at her every time he doesn't get his way? Of course you wouldn't. Be what you want other people to be. Because as a friend of ours always says, you cannot pass on what you don't possess. Leadership starts, starts within. You can't lead people where you aren't. And this is why integrity and character is non-negotiable. Verse 4, we're almost done. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Listen, elders are under-shepherd, hired hands under the chief shepherd. The king owns all of the sheep. He's given all responsibility to the under-shepherds to get the sheep safely to pasture. And some will show up with huge flocks that are actually filled with wolves and goats and only a few sheep. Do you think that shepherd will be rewarded? Some shepherds will show up with lots of Instagram followers taking selfies while they go, and then they'll wildly look over their shoulder because they don't even know who the sheep among them were. Other shepherds will show up smacking their sheep with a club, bruised and bloody to get them there. But the shepherd God wants to see is the one who has tenderly, patiently, diligently watched over and fed the flock with care just like the chief shepherd verse 5 likewise you who are younger younger in faith be subject to the elders clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble see what we just talked about in these first four verses the only way it works is with humility that's it it doesn't work without humility Shepherds must be characterized by humility. Sheep must be characterized by humility because God, though unfathomably powerful, is characterized by humility. That's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. The point is this, elders, God doesn't just care that we lead. He cares how we lead. He cares how we lead. What a lost message in today's business world, political world, and church world. And so the message that has been in 1 Peter throughout continues. That is, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, remember that you're in exile here, and so your integrity is what really counts as you go through these times and these days. In conclusion, why is this important? Well, because the verses right before this chapter, 1 Peter four seventeen, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? The, the book of Ezekiel, specifically chapter 34, is about the failure of the leaders of Israel, and that chapter pictures them as shepherds. They're described as shepherds who are starving their sheep, neglecting their sheep, pursuing their own gain, and in the meantime, wild animals come in and devour them, representing other nations. As a result, Ezekiel says the sheep are scattered over every hill with no one to look for them, and the shepherds are condemned. And then the prophet Ezekiel describes another shepherd who will come, just like his forefather David, he will come to condemn the false shepherds, to gather his sheep, and to lead them into pasture forever. And we know this promised shepherd is Jesus, who Peter calls here the chief shepherd. See, this matters today because what led to the destruction in Israel is what will lead and is leading to the destruction of the churches in the global north. Church leadership all over the USA doesn't need a new strategy. It needs to repent because it is not biblical in its structure or in its efforts. So what I would like to do now as we end is I would like the elders to stand you guys could stand, you elders, Steve, Dave, David, Breton, Christian, myself, and I would like you at your tables to just take one minute to pray for these men and then to commit to praying for them weekly, okay? And then we have one final thing to do because the Davis family is moving to Alaska and we're going to pray over them and commission them which is what elders are called to do, Acts 13. And so would you gather at your tables and pray for these elders, please?